Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And on this week's episode, we have James Lawrence, who's known as the Iron Cowboy. For those of you who don't know James Lawrence, James Lawrence has run 30 Ironman triathlons in a year across the world. If you don't know what an Ironman triathlon is, it's a race that consists of a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bicycle ride, and Oh, a marathon, a 26.2 mile run, all in one race. So he's completed at one time 30 in a year. He, several years ago, he completed 50 Ironman triathlons in 50 consecutive days in 50 different states. And most recently, a year ago, he decided to do 100 Ironman triathlons in 100 consecutive days. Is this man crazy? Absolutely. Is he humble? Most certainly. This conversation was just awesome. You figure someone who has the audacity to set goals like this for his life and push his body and his mind beyond those kind of limits um, would have an ego about it. Um, I, I would say we spent more time talking about how his failures or his setbacks in terms of how he when he first completed or tried to complete some sort of sprint triathlon, he was basically hugging the side of the pool because he couldn't really swim. Uh, how much he hated running when he started. Uh, we talk about more of his challenges and uh, his flaws than anything else. And it's one of the more encouraging conversations we've had. There's lots of really good nuggets. Um, I learned a new word today, catastrophizing, uh, which I'll let him explain, but it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's just a really, really cool conversation. We dive into, uh, if you like uh, Ironman or endurance races, I'm not the best example, as you can see, of an endurance athlete, but I'm fascinated by people who can. So we dive into some of the nuts and bolts of the actual racing, but we also dive into um, his advice on how to accomplish uh, big things in your life, how to overcome challenges. It's a brilliant conversation. He's just an awesome, awesome person. So. Um, I think everyone's going to enjoy this, whether you're uh, an endurance athlete or not, whether you aspire to be an endurance athlete or not, or whether you hate running or not. I think this is just an awesome, awesome conversation. So uh, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a loyal fan. If you've not subscribed, please subscribe. We, we could definitely use uh, your support um, and enjoy this conversation. Again, James is an awesome person with a huge heart. He's humble, but um, he is ambitious, strong-willed, and crazy in the most uh, amazing way. So enjoy the conversation. Thanks for listening. Uh, James, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate you making time for us. Absolutely. Let's do this. <laughs> so our first question that we ask every guest is, who are you and what do you love about what you do? Oh, man. My name is James Lawrence. Some know me as the Iron Cowboy. Um, you know, we all have, I'm going to answer this in a weird way. We all have gifts that we were given at birth. And, um, you know, some people can sing, some people can dance, um, some people are artistic. Um, and like most of my life, I'm like, I don't really know what my talent is. And, uh, and then recently we did something that was called the Conquer 100, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but I realized that I have this very unique gift to suffer. And, and you would think, wow, that's a, that's a terrible gift. So I actually don't enjoy what I do, um, but I've realized it's my gift. And, and you'd be like, well, that's, again, a terrible gift. But 
Um, you know, we've been doing this a long time and we get to do these big challenges and that creates content for us to go speak. And one of the coolest things that I get to do when I speak is I do two things. I give every audience member something and I take something from every audience member. And that's at least my goal. And what I, what I give is hope uh, because although we are intentionally suffering on our journey, there's many, if not most people that are not intentionally choosing the suffers, <clears throat> suffering that they're going through. And then I mentioned that I take something from you. Um, and I, I, I believe through our journey and um, the things that we've experienced, we, we tend to remove, remove excuses um, that people may have on their journey. And so I, I, I hope that we give hope because hope is life and then remove excuses because excuses are death. Mm. So you said, um, you know, you were just getting to know each other before we started filming. You, you talk about, um, it took you a while to figure out what your gift is. And, you know, it may be a gift that not a lot of people are aspiring to have, which is the gift of suffering. However, um, there's power for whatever that gift is, there's power in finding your gift. And one of the things that we do in our organization is, particularly when we work with schools is we want to make sure that we help kids find their genius and their, their talents as early as possible. Could there have been anything done differently in your upbringing to help you possibly have learned what your gifts are earlier? Or is that just part of um, life? You know, I don't think so. I did a, I think my parents did a great job. I did, I did a great job of learning a lot of my lessons through sport. Um, I was, I have three sisters, no brothers. My parents aren't interested in sport. And so I, I really used the school system and the, the opportunities that were there to participate in sport. I had some great coaches. Um, I gravitated towards wrestling and if you've never wrestled before, I mean, it's, it's hard to understand, but that is a grueling tough sport. It's one that I believe I started to cultivate, um, my, my mental toughness and, and really start to craft that. Um, the, the only way to, to have, uh, you know, an opportunity to learn, grow, find your passions, um, find your talents is through experience. And, you know, you see it all the time on social media where either someone is asking a question, maybe complaining a little bit. I don't know my talents. I look at this person, they're phenomenal. And they're sitting at home on social media or sitting at home playing video games or sitting doing whatever. And the, you're never going to discover your passion by searching the internet. Um, you're going to maybe find opportunities and activities to do, but you have to take an action. You have to go do something you have to experience. I didn't know. I, I didn't know I loved wrestling until I wrestled. I didn't know I loved golf until I golfed. I didn't know I loved triathlon until I did triathlon. You don't know you love what you love until you do it. And you, you can't discover that by sitting at home, being complacent, feeling sorry for yourself, surround your people, surround yourself with amazing people that do things and then go do them. And that's how you find your passion. Mm, yeah. You, first off, uh, you've killed me on, you've already taken my excuses. So, uh, I played basketball growing up, had some health issues, had to stop that apparently, which you'll probably remove that excuse by the end of the day, decided to take up golf more seriously. I love it. And now I'm like, you know what? I can't really do the triathlon things. I'm a golfer. That's just a different type of person. The fact that you wrestle, you golf. Dude, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a four handicap. <laughs> I am, if, as of right now, it's the Masters. It's on, it's on TV right now. Actually, it's in the corner of my office. I'm watching it. Tiger Woods, the, I mean, I think he's on my wall right here. This picture right here 
is is the greatest comeback in sports history. Yes. If, if that that win at the Masters in 2019, if if you are a sports fan, if you are a uh, golf like grown man right here in tears, I know exactly where I was when mm. that happened. And this weekend has potential to to do that. The Tiger. Man, I, I really uh, respect what he does on the golf course. And since his epic fall from yep. sport, it was the greatest fall in sports history. And it's also the greatest comeback in sports history. And I believe people can change. I believe people deserve second chances. I believe there's good in everybody. They just need to be surrounded with the right people. Um, I don't think Chet Tiger had the right people around him for a lot of his career. Um, but like this, this, this weekend could be super, super special. I'm disappointed right now. He's two over his round, but everybody's struggling because it's it's super windy. But dude shot one under yesterday, was sitting in 10th place. He's currently four, maybe five back, but you're going to see those. I, I'm going to go on a total tangent. But dude, I respect him. And I loved his interview yesterday. He said, as soon because he was in that massive car accident, nearly lost his leg. And his interview, he said, nobody, nobody will ever understand the effort and sacrifice that I made to get back to this point. As soon as I could stand up out of bed, we went to work and we didn't take any days off. Mm. And I think, I think that's true with our story too, is people see or read the headline after we've done it. There's no such thing as an overnight success. And I think it's super valuable for the listens and the listeners and the kids and, and the youth and the, the young adults in this that are coming up in this world that have dreams and aspirations and desires that like it takes a lot of time, energy, effort, and sacrifice. I, I talk about, you know, New Year's was, you know, a couple months ago, but everybody always sets these New Year's resolutions and they get all excited and everybody knows what they want. I want, I, you know, I want better grades. I want to be good at this sport. I want to have more money. I want this house. I want this car. I want a more meaningful, you know, they want all these things. And every everybody, everybody knows what they want, man. And they're asking the wrong question. Because in that interview with Tiger, he said very few people will know what that took and what we had to sacrifice in order to do it. And so the question that I believe the young people today need to be asking themselves is, okay, I know what I want, but what am I willing to sacrifice in order to do it? And then they have to be patient with the process in order to get it. It's okay to be the newest person on the team. It's okay to be a beginner. Nobody starts out as the expert. Tiger had to had to pick up and swing a club for the very first time at some point in his career. GSP, another picture behind me, this is kind of my legends while you can't see a lot of it, but these are all people that changed the sport that weren't overnight successes that did a lot of things right. I love saying that the secret to success is doing a lot of little things consistently over a long period of time. That's truly the secret to success. And we kind of live in a day and age of like, no, I, I want it right now and I don't want to do what it takes to get it. And, and that is the fastest way to failure. And you may see small pockets of success, but for long-term sustainability um, and really true success and to truly be an expert, to be one of 7 billion people in the world, that takes time, energy, and effort and sacrifice. Nobody would have looked at me in my very first pool sprint triathlon with the nose plug on, get gripping to the side of the pool, gasping for air saying, yeah, that guy, that guy right there, he's going to go on and set sports endurance history. He's going to be one of seven billion. He's going to break three Guinness world records, right? It's okay to be at the beginning, just dive in, learn, educate yourself and take time with the process. So looking real quick and looking back on my journey, I'm throwing tons out here. I'm sorry, but looking back, looking back on my journey, I miss 
the journey. I miss that hustle and grind. I miss the relationships, the people, the connections, all of it, right? You, you get to a point where it's like, man, I did it. I made it. And I actually miss the process. And so another little quick life tip that I want to throw to, to young people is don't be in such a hurry to get to where you're going. You get, you get to work the rest of your life. You get to be married the rest of your life. You get to be a parent the rest of your life. Like enjoy the time you have now. Enjoy that process. Enjoy that hustle. Enjoy the grind. Enjoy adversity. That's an opportunity. So that's, I don't know. We, we didn't, we got like seven rants there. So as, as uh, our producer, Lauren Wilburn can attest, I love rants more than anything. However, uh, one of the things you just said, um, you were talking about how when you first did your first sprint triathlon, you were hugging the wall. I picture myself trying to do it. I've not done it. Doggy paddling, trying to hold on to anything I could hold on to. So that is, that is really refreshing. Tell me how the heck you went from being a wrestler to as much as I want to dive into golf with you right now, uh, when I would, uh, I want to know how you decided to get into becoming a triathlete. And then we'll get to the crazy parts of the, the things you've done since becoming a triathlete. Yeah. So, you know, you wrestle in high school and college and, and then that ends, it has a very finite end to it. Unless you're going to become a doctor, then you're probably not wrestling anyways. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, that, that part ends. And as a, as a competitive person who loves sport and loves to compete with myself and, and all these things, I had a friend who was big into golf and, and, and I just started, I just picked it up in my early twenties. Um, and I just fell in love with it. And it was when Tiger was on his media, uh, just insane rise uh, in the sport. I mean, I watched his entire career start to finish. I mean, I remember like, my world stopped on Sundays when, when Tiger was in contention. I mean, you, there's a, there's a decade of, of, of time there where it was just like, if you like, I don't know whether we'll ever see it again in our lifetime, the, the dominance um, that was portrayed. There was so cool. I love athletes that change their sport, change the way it's played, change the financial implications of us tiger did that with golf and it's just so remarkable and so i just started golfing with a friend and and just you know tiger was explosive and exciting and i loved it and as an adult it was a new way for me to compete with myself and to golf's an impossible game like legit legitimately impossible and and, and I, you know, my dad doesn't do sports and he, he's like, dude, watching golf was like watching paint dry. And I'm like, dude, it's the most, if you, if you're a golfer, you cannot understand how absolutely mind blowing, amazing. The 300th rank, the last ranked person on the PGA is they are so good what they do. And I've heard people say they're not athletes and this and that. I'm just like, oh my gosh, you have no idea what you're talking about. And so I just fell in love with it and I love the challenge of it. I love that you can play the same course every day and it's a totally different experience. It is a physical grind. It is a mental grind. It is a technique grind. You have to dive in. You have to really control uh, your mind. You have to have a short-term memory. And so I just loved all of those things about golf. And then, and then you know, the transition from golf into triathlon, um, I, I was – I was, I was trying to be a, 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 a like clubhouse course pro. I took my player ability test, missed it by a stroke two times. Um, a lot of people don't know that about me. And, um, and, but then I got married, found my wife and I started to have kids and I, which I just have, just couldn't pay the bills. And, and I was like, okay, this is, I'm going to have to put this dream aside and do something else. 
Um, and then started a mortgage company and, and, and really just was, was starting to make money and provide for my family, but I didn't enjoy it. Yep. Um, and then, you know, my wife, I, we, we kind of, I kind of met my wife at, at school and then we just went to the same gym and we were both, you know, physically fit and enjoyed fitness. Um, and we got married and then she was like, Hey, let's go do this four mile fun run. And I'm like, running is stupid. Why would anybody do that? You can't say fun and run in the same sentence. And that four mile fun run like destroyed me. And, uh, she was like, you're, you're pathetic. Uh, I'm going to sign you up for the Salt Lake city marathon. It's in four months, figure it out. And so I went and did that. I suffered through it. I threw up at the finish line. My knees had swollen up like cantaloupes. And I was like, I'm either going to allow this to define me and, and, and I've, I've been beat by a marathon or I'm going to dissect it because I'm competitive and try to figure it out. And that kind of put us on the path over the next 10 years to, to breaking some, some endurance barriers and um, just really diving in. And we loved the community. We loved the, I love the diversity of the swimming, the bike, the run. I had to teach myself how to swim. I didn't own a bike. Um, and so it was just all so new and so exciting. And there was just so much, diversity because you take a look at triathlon you got swim bike run strength training the mindset piece to it the nutrition piece i mean you've right there you've got six different facets that you have to try to figure out and get good at and i was i was a little bit naturally um talented on the bike and really gravitated towards that um and then as my career progressed it just as you're doing something and you're in the middle of it, it's impossible, right? Because you're pushing a boundary and that's where your level of experience is. But every time we accomplished a goal, man, it just, it just naturally unfolded like, oh, that's the next challenge. Oh, that's it. Or we believe that's possible or we're here, we can do that. And so it just escalated over a period of a decade to where we eventually did 100 consecutive Ironmans, a quarter of a year, 14,200 plus miles with no days off. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I read somewhere, I've got lots of different quotes from you that I'm really interested in exploring just because uh, I really appreciate your mindset and paradigms in the world on this. But, it, you know, you said you know, when you first, first you did the 50-50-50 uh, before you did the unthinkable of 100 uh, triathlons or Ironman triathlons in consecutive days. You said you wanted to find out what your mental and physical limits were. Like who, who sits around and is like, you know what? I've conquered an Ironman. I've done marathons. I've done all this. And now, you know what? I, I think I got to figure out more. Let's, let's do more. Let's do 30. Let's do 50. Who, who does that? Is it because you said earlier, it's important to have really good people around you. Is it because you have really good people around you? Well, I think when, I think when we take a step back and we look at life, the goal should be to continually progress and find potential. And to me, I'm of the opinion that we're never just standing still. We're either moving forward or we're slipping backwards. And to me, I was always wanting to try to push forward. And, and I heard a great quote. I spoke on at an event recently with Ed Milet. And then um, he's a super powerful speaker and his words are impactful. And he said, you know, I'm, he's a competitor. And he's like, I like to compete. And I, I really resonated with that. And he says, I'm, I'm competing not against anybody else, but against my, myself. And I'm, I'm, I'm continually chasing the best, most unbelievable version of myself. And I, I hope the one day that I do meet him or her, that I can say, I caught you. I got you, man. And now I've passed you. And I, and I think that should be what everybody's striving to be is, is not to be 
settling for mediocrity and not to be complacent and not to sit on your laurels. I mean, I could have said, you know what, world record, 30 Ironmans, I'm at the top. And that would have been fine. But I, I would have got, I, I would have started to slip backwards. I, I would have fallen into like, oh, I did that once upon a time, right? And so for me, it was just always the next natural part of our journey was like, oh yeah, that was impossible, but we did it. And now I've changed. My team has changed. We have knowledge and experience. And I mean, when we when we did the 30 Ironmans through 11 countries, all official events, I mean, that was so hard. And that was pushing my limits. Now, if somebody said, hey, man, you got to go do 30 Ironmans in a year, I'd be like, okay, like, do we start tomorrow? Or what do we what do we do? Right? Because your perception and, and perspective changes as you progress through your journey. Because now we did the 50 and then we did the 100. But when you're doing the 30, hundred is not even possible. Like it doesn't even cross your mind because you're in the heat of the moment you're doing and pushing your current boundaries. And that's what I think everybody should be doing every single day of their lives is always right on that edge of pushing and seeking out their truest potential. And then it's a, it's a, it's a never ending quest of trying to, <clears throat> excuse me, trying to better yourself because when you, when you're climbing a mountain and then you get to the top of it, you're successful. And now another mountain came into view that you couldn't see before because the mountain you were on were block, was blocking that view. And it becomes this beautiful thing of there's always a, another mountain behind the mountains that you're climbing. And it's, it's called life. It's called adventure. It's called potential. And, and I think that is, that is super fun. And you know, everybody always asks what's next. And is it 200 Ironmans? And um, I'm, I'm totally satisfied. I'm now taking that knowledge of team and experience and showing up and consistency and applying it to other parts of my life. I think, I think we made some mistakes on, on the 50 that were well publicized and documented in the book and documentary and excuse me, through my speaking and all these things. And so I saw that the hundred as an opportunity to just reset my personal history mm. uh, and to showcase that, that I am who I said I was and our yeah. team is who we said we were. So, uh, and we did that with the hundred. Sorry, sorry to cut you off there. I just, I, yeah. I want to make sure I honor your time. I have so many, uh, different questions I want to ask. So let's, before we get to the hundred, I mean, you're, to your point, the 50 has been well documented. There's an awesome documentary on it. You can read your book, Iron Cowboy, um, uh, redefine impossible, which is actually a really good read and easy read. I found because you just get stuck in the stories. I would say, I guess the question I have is like, when you started that, before we dive into some of those mistakes, this podcast is about change starts here, changes, you know, it's all about false starts and failures and learning from them and putting one foot in front of the other. And okay. so I do want to dive into that. But when you said, I'm going to do 50 Ironmans in 50 days, did everybody around you say, you're nuts, that's not healthy, what are you doing? And how did you first conquer that just to start the idea? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I had a very quick realization that the public wasn't going to accept or endorse what we were doing because of their perception and perspective. And there was very few people in the world that had the, the perspective perception that we did or perspective that we did because we were the only ones that had done it. And it was actually on after race 27 of 30 in that year that I was in Arizona. And I said, I don't, I don't think this is it. Like I said to Sonny, I was like this, there's, there's more. And because we were so close to breaking that world record and finishing that part of the journey, she was like, hold on, just wrap this one up first before we move on to the next. But it was, I was already like 
in the mindset of like, okay, this is, we're good here. I'm going to power through, I'm going to be focused and I'm, I'm going to make sure that we accomplish this. But I was already like, okay, my, I had already had that paradigm shift that more was possible. And so when we announced the 50, let's say you hadn't heard about us or seen our story and you didn't witness the 30 um, because it was kind of social media was new and it was growing and all these things. And so to go from, let's say you're a, a passive viewer from the couch, you're maybe a 5k guy. Um, you've never done an Ironman. The leap from, I do 5k's, which is okay. And great. I think everybody should be challenging themselves because everybody's heart is different, but from the outside looking in, if you're a, if your limit is a 5k run, 50 becomes absolutely impossible because you didn't do, you haven't done an Ironman. You haven't, you didn't break the world record for half Ironmans before the 30, before coming up with the 50. And every point of my journey, I I can't, it it doesn't even cross your mind. Like when I was doing the the world record for the half Ironmans and climbing that mountain, dude, a hundred wasn't even, I couldn't even conceptualize it. Like it's, that's not even where your, your brain goes, but as you progress through the challenges and show up on your journey, yeah, that's when more becomes possible. Now, for us, every time we've announced one of these things, we've been criticized at a high level. We've been mocked. We've been ridiculed. We've been said, you're going to fail. But it's because they're looking at it from where they are in their life on their experience. And yeah, it would be impossible. If you don't go through that journey of a decade, you, you can't possibly have an opinion, whether it's possible or not because you don't have the experience and knowledge that we had as a team so for us it was always natural it was always a a progression Um, we were building upon what we were doing I tell people all the time you can't go from zero to 100 it's not possible like you're going to fail and you have to have that knowledge and experience of action leading all the way up so to that point like on running right so if I went out and tried to run right now uh I feel like I could maybe run a 5k and I'd be in the most pain. Like you described your story. Right. But in my head, I'm a competitive person, a little maniacal. Some folks would say that are around me. I'm like, I got to get there and I got to get there quickly. How do you encourage people, whether it's triathlons or work or an education to set goals and figure out what the right pacing guide is to get there? I think that's the harder, harder part in my lens of how do I I find that right pace? Yeah. I think you always have to look at somebody's history, um, where they are at, um, like, and, and on a single day event, um, it's very different than something that takes place over a quarter of a year where you have a compounding effect that stacks upon it. Right. Sure. So like you said, maybe you could run a 5k tomorrow. I guarantee you, I could show up, meet you somewhere and with, and you, and you, you've got the mindset. Okay. I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to go to a 5k with the iron cowboy. We're going to do We're going to knock this thing out. And then we get to the end of the 5k and I was like, just kidding. We're doing 10k today. And you're like, oh man, okay. And you physically take the next step and you make it to 10K. And at the end of the 10K, I was like, just kidding, dude. We're doing half a marathon today. And you would figure out a way to keep moving. Now, based on your current level, it's going to feel different for you than someone who is prepared to do the half Ironman. Could you do it? Yes. Is your experience going to be based off of your preparation in order to execute said goal? Yes. But I believe I could take you tomorrow up into the mountains and we would cover a full marathon. We could do it. I, I, I met, I could talk you through it. I could physically, it's going to hurt like hell and you're going to be uncomfortable for the next week or two, but we could do it. And so someone's, someone's 
I just did a post today to my private Facebook group um, about expectations yep. and sacrifice. And, and we all need to set the proper expectations based on our experience level. And if we want to get somewhere faster than maybe we should, we have to figure out what we need to sacrifice in order to get there a little bit faster, right? And so based on knowledge and experience, expectations, and what we're willing to sacrifice, that is now how we can set up an appropriate time frame in order to achieve these big goals. I coach athletes and someone will say, hey, super inspired, I'm motivated by your story, I want to do an Ironman. And I'm like, okay, okay, this is the plan. This is how we're going to do it. And, and we lay out the entire plan and two things happen. They go, oh, I didn't realize it was going to take this much effort. I'm good. I don't want to do this anymore. Like they do workout number one and they're like, I can't do this. And I'm like, it's okay. Do you trust the process? Do you trust the time frame? Your only goal, we've got the goal now, right? It's, it's there. It's an Ironman and we're going to shelf it. We're going to forget about it. Now we're going to reverse engineer. We've got a plan and you just have to trust the plan and execute it on a daily basis. By the time we get to race day, guess what? That thing's a victory lap because you've done the work and you have the right expectations and you showed up on your journey every single day. And so that, that's how, that's how you, you, you figure out a time frame to achieve your goal. You have to have expectations and then you have to figure out what you're willing to sacrifice and that'll determine the timeframes. So you, you talk about the power of the mind a lot, right? So the fact that you said, I mean, if I go out and do it by myself, I may be able to get 5k, but because you know what it looks like to get to that marathon, you could probably get me there. How do I start creating the mentality and the confidence that you have or any of us, not just me, but how do, how do we create that confidence or that self-talk to help us get through whatever challenges that we're faced with right now? Yeah, this is one of my favorite words. Um, it's called catastrophizing. Um, catastrophizing is looking into the future at an event that hasn't happened yet. It's typically the worst case scenario. And then we give it all of our power and attention. And that, that is so destructive and we all do it. I was on a race in Fiji. It was the world's toughest race is what it was called. Mark Burnett production, Bear Grylls was the host, Map and Compass, Navigation, Teams of Four. We showed up on site and they said, amazing what you guys have accomplished. No way you finished this race. And we were like, okay, here we go. And, and we, just, we just kept showing up and we, we started to turn the producers and the film crew and everything and they turned into fans because we just kept chipping away at it and we showed up with a smile on our face and our attitude was great. Well, we came into the last big checkpoint and everyone's rooting for us now because we were the underdogs and everyone's rooting for us. And um, we were, we're all triathletes, we're all strong cyclists. And we come into the last part and the race director knew we were all strong cyclists. So he rushes up to us. He's like, go guys, I'm so freaking excited for you. This is going to be amazing. The hardest, the most toughest gnarly bike section is coming up next. I thought of you guys when I created it, you guys are going to have a blast. Well, one of our athletes, all she heard was, the hardest, most gnarly, difficult challenge is coming up next. And she was already fatigued, broken. We'd been in the Fijian jungle for six plus days to this point, carrying our packs, finding food, like just surviving. And so her mind said, if I'm broken now, he said it's, it's the hardest part of the race. It instantly became impossible. And she had no real knowledge to what the terrain was. She is a world-class um, uh, Kona qualifying, contending triathlete at the, at the highest level. And so 
um, we left camp on our bikes and we were just fired up. We were super excited. We were like, yeah, we've made it past the hardest parts of this race and we are cyclists. And, and immediately on the side of the road, hyperventilating, can't breathe, can't continue. And in, in this format, one fail, all fail. And we were like, holy crap, this is it. We're done. And, um, and so I, I just had a, a really long conversation with her. And I said, look, I can, I can push your bike. I can carry your pack. I can try to lighten your load. What I can't do is change the way you're thinking about what's coming up. I need you to just dial it back and focus on what's right in front of you. The only thing that you can control, and that's the next pedal stroke. We do not know what the terrain looks like. You could be incredibly prepared for this. But all she heard in her mind was this is the most challenging, most difficult part of the race. And it was so amazing and fascinating to watch because the, the bike conditions didn't change. Her bike didn't change. Her pack weight didn't change. The weather didn't change. What changed was her mindset and where she put her focus and attention. We ended up passing 17 teams in that section. And the only thing that changed was the way she thought about the moment. That's it. That's the only variable that changed. And so it was, it was just such an unbelievable front row seat lesson to me about how powerful our thoughts are and how we are wasting so much of our energy on an event that hasn't happened yet in our lives. I mean, how many of you listening to this right now are like, you find yourself sitting in a situation, you hear some news, you do this, or you start to panic and you start to get filled with anxiety and depression. And now you don't even take action. And it's a mythical something in the future that we've, that we've drawn up in our minds. One of the, one of the greatest books that I read probably 25 years ago, um, a new earth by Eckhart Tolle. And uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, but um, he's got a book out right now. It's called the power of now, but that, that book for me, like 25 years ago, uh, it's about ego and it's about the conversations that we have in our heads about mythical um, events, or let's say you, you and I get into an argument and you've moved on and I am replaying yep. the conversation over and over and over in my head. And it's, it's no longer, you don't care. You've moved on because you're mature enough to like, Oh, that was, his opinion and this and that, and you moved on. And I am just like grinding this conversation. And then I'm thinking I'm creating these mythical things that maybe you said, or if I said this, you would have said this. And it's like torturing myself. And it's all about ego and that battle that we have. And so, man, I just love that. I love that book. And it really started me down the road of like personal development and, and thinking for myself and being present and all of these real powerful things that, that we need to do as a society to survive and thrive. I have so many directions and I only get you for an hour, unfortunately. So I want to make sure I honor our time. I'm sure this happens to you every time you talk to somebody. Uh, you, you had opened up a door just to, uh, one of the things we're inspired by is failing forward, right? And I feel like you're very honest about, you know, from grabbing the side of the pool to, you know, things that you saw that you changed from the 50 challenge to the 100 challenge. I'm curious, uh, from your perspective, what were the biggest failures that you experienced that you had to overcome that weren't just physical in nature, that were psychological and kind of um, kind of harmed your ego a little bit, uh, if, you've, if you've experienced those at all? Yeah, so uh, it, it's, it's interesting because on day 18, we were 
of the 50, I was just super exhausted. Uh, we were trying to figure out and navigate the chaos and the enormity of the travel and the logistics in the United States. I mean, we were trying to do 140 miles a day, one in every state, no days off. And so that just created a ton of complications. Um, I, I, we were averaging four hours of sleep a night. I was consuming 10,000 plus calories a day and I was trying to cover 140 miles. Well, on day 18 in Chattanooga, Tennessee, it's 106 degrees outside. I am exhausted. I lost concentration on my bike for like two, maybe three seconds. And I literally fell asleep while I was riding my bike and I crashed. And I had to figure out how to get back on my bike and continue on. And I, I had some, some road rash and some hip trauma. Well, the next state was Mississippi and we're in the middle of the South and and it's it's hurricane conditions, a massive whiteout lightning storm, very, very dangerous to be outside. Like the weather was like, do not go outside. And so we were pushed inside that day and we, you know, we did the, the swim in a pool and um, had to do uh, the, the, the bike on a walk machine, simulated very, very clear outside conditions. Um, and we didn't get any pushback on that. Um, but to complete the marathon, I spent a few hours um, on an elliptical machine. And I was like, okay, the goal of this is to raise money for charity. My hip really hurts. We've used the elliptical a ton of training. I'm still covering the mileage. We didn't have, I didn't have a problem with it. And well, we woke up the next morning to just hate and criticism. And every keyboard warrior came out and had an opinion about how we did and what we did. And, and we never hit it. We never tried to sweep it under the rug. We posted a picture on social media of me on the elliptical with people around me and and it's it's now in the documentary it's on the it's in the book and you know you know we woke up and they were like you're done you're a failure um the journey stops at at night, day 19 um go home and man that just really rock, rocked me and we made a decision we we're like no the the purpose in this is to continue on we made a commitment we're going to do our best apologize we jumped on the elliptical machine that was probably not a good decision, but it's just so hard to make those decisions on the fly in the moment, exhausted with everything going on. And um, we continued on and we did 50 and some people put an asterisk beside it. And um, it was, it was fascinating because, you know, for years we were speaking and traveling around the world and I've been on hundreds of stages and 48 countries and, and our lives completely changed. And every time I got off stage, someone, someone would make a comment, you know, uh, on a post that we would do. Yeah, but you didn't really do it. And this wow. and, I, and you're a fraud and all this stuff. And it just really, it really got to me. And oh. so I sat down, I did all the math and, and that summer we covered 7,030 miles. And a few of them was on the elliptical. And, um, and I totaled it all up and I did the math and it was fascinating once I did the calculations. That, that, that really short moment on the elliptical machine inside represented 0.24% of the journey. 0.24%, bro, can you imagine if my, you know, we we're talking about golf, if I one putted 99.76% of the time, I'd be the richest, I'd, I'd be the number one player in the world, undisputed. Could you imagine if I was a 99.76% free throw shooter in the NBA today? That I would be crazy. Three-point shot, 99.76% of the time, we were deemed a failure. Yep. And so I caution people all the time, look, when you're, when you're pushing boundaries, when you're trying to find the best version of who you are, you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to be, you know, you're going to make mistakes, especially when you're trying to do something that nobody else has ever done. And 
I caution people to not let somebody else's opinion of 0.24% of your journey impact how you proceed. They don't get to have an opinion. If you're navigating life with honesty, integrity, with the goal to help other people, they don't get to have an opinion on how you navigate that. I and, love that. Yeah, and then the 100 came and it was an opportunity. I was like, okay, I, th- this is truly my opportunity to, to reset my history and to level up my game. Um, and, and I've just learned with the public, like if you're going to do something big, you describe what it is and then you adhere to those rules. Um, and rightfully so. And, and, and that's what we did during the 100. We completely reset our history and it was just so spectacular. Um, and, and, the, and the most enormous dumpster fire at the same time, but it was so beautiful. Well, I think, I mean, what I love about your story is, um, how do I say the word catastrophizing? Is that yeah, like, catastrophizing. Yeah, I, sure. I love it because that hit me like a ton of bricks as soon as you said it. And then when you describe the, oh, I did the elliptical a little bit because I hurt. Well, yeah, like anybody that's a normal athlete would be like, dude, just get the miles in. That's just impressive to do. And you fixated on it when you got critiqued. And then to go back and do the math and think, God, I a small fraction of a percent is what has like been owning all of my energy. How do we fix that? Like that is something that um, is powerful to to come back to. Like, is this really who I am, or is this just what I'm focusing on? Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so because because as a team, I know what we did, and our team did it, and and none of us would ever say that there's an asterisk on the fifty. Like we we did it, man. And 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 the general populace also thinks that it's a small yes. small small percentage. But that small percentage is loud and it influences the bully inside all of our heads. I've learned that as humans, we're getting in our own way and we're toughest. We're our biggest critics. Yes. Um, and and it's, it's hard to manage that conversation in our head because for some reason we believe the 0.24% and we should give them zero power. Mm. Um, what, where do you think your mental strength came from during the 100, during the 50, during the 30? Is there like a, a source that you can go back to, or is there a mental thought you had for each of them? That's a, it's, you, is there one thought that got you through it? I don't know. I'm just curious on. Yeah. What you know, you mentally. Yeah. Big question is, you know, are you born with it yeah. or do you develop it? And I believe we're all born with a certain level. Um, and then it's our responsibility to cultivate it. And it can only be cultivated through action and experience. And so there, there, you know, I, I firmly believe that, that my, my seven years of wrestling um, was really the start of my mental toughness. And, you know, I came out, I came out of university or or high school and I, I, I grew up in Calgary, Alberta and Calgary's world famous for the Calgary stampede, largest rodeo in the world. And we've got a fun story that I, I ended up, I entered a contest and I sat on the Ferris wheel for 10 days and I, I really, I, I really, grasped at a high level that I, I truly have control over my mind because I was watching people exit the ride and and quit and abandon you know the challenge and and I ended up being the last person standing and it was just really the you know given my my wrestling experience and then those 10 days on, on a Ferris wheel I mean you're talking about sitting there and just being comfortable with your thoughts and the conversations that you have with yourself and reconciling your past and planning for the future and all these things. And so I, I was starting to really understand how powerful our mind was and then got into golf and then got into triathlon and got into these challenges and continued to expand them. And so there isn't really one moment. 
um, they were moments that built upon each other that that gave us the confidence and knowledge that we could do those tasks at any given moment. And now, and now, because of the experience in doing this for you know close to fifteen years, if anybody gives me a task or a challenge, I a thousand percent believe I can do it. Now I have to, like we talked about before, I have to prioritize you know, what that's going to take. I have to game plan it. And then I have to figure out what I'm willing to sacrifice. And if that's going to be worth the finish line reward of what it's all going to take, those are checks and balances that you always have to be asking yourself. Um, Oh, I have one more question before we get into uh, just like the last few questions that are like rapid fire before we end Mm -hmm. Um, right now, as you've probably read and know, because you have five kids at home, I believe Mm -hmm. um, the education community is struggling. There's a lot of uh, principals, a lot of district officials, superintendents, there's a lot of teachers leaving the profession or just feeling more burned out than they've ever felt. Mm-hmm. And that's a tragedy because I feel like there's so we're losing really good people right now. Yeah. What encouragement, because I feel like they're on that journey, right? They're on their 50 or their 100 journey. Mm-hmm. What encouragement do you have for educators as they're hitting that wall right now? And it's tough to wake up and it's tough to show up. Yeah, man, that is that is a great question and one that's really hard to answer. Um, I, I there's few professions that are more needed um, at, at this time. Um, this, this generation needs great leaders. It, it needs thoughtful, kind, empathetic people um, that are also um, willing to lead from the front and and have hard conversations. Um, you know, I talk to people all the time and I say, look, if if every single one of us in the world would would put aside our goals, dreams and aspirations and help other people achieve theirs, then as a byproduct, we, we achieve ours because we're going to be at the mountaintop of success together. So if you're trying to help everybody around you, and I think that's how educators are, is, is they're trying to help other people become that best version of who they are. And and when you have good kids, it's in your house. It's it's not by accident. It's because you were in, engaged parenting. Um, and I think great teachers have an unbelievable responsibility and opportunity to have a long lasting impact. I, again, like we started this conversation, I grew up doing sports in school. None of my family did sports. I don't have any brothers, three sisters that aren't active. These teachers became teachers and coaches became a massive part of who I am today. And as educators, you have no idea the impact, the legacy that you you are imprinting on these these young minds. Um, And we need strong, powerful leaders um, as educators. And it's it's sad that we don't have a system that can you know financially reward. Um, these teachers and educators, because it is the most important thing. And I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine w- w- the challenges and w- what it's like to deal with a lot of, you know, because you're you're really trying to parent however many kids, and and you're you're competing with the actual parents who maybe aren't engaged in, in their lives and undo what you do and all these different belief patterns. And so I would just say, you know, to these educators, you provide such an unbelievable. Um, value add to these people's lives. And it's so critical. And I I can attribute a lot of my mindset and belief systems to educators who were invested in me as a kid and as an athlete and in sports and as a coach and um, just teaching me really, really sound 
sound values. You know, these these leaders need to understand that that there is such an important role that they play. Um, and I, I'm I'm grateful for the the public school system that that my kids are all in. And and there's there's a lot of great great teachers out there. And I, I speak to a lot of the groups, and and. You know, that's what I love doing is giving them hope on their journey and, and hopefully helping them see that they provide such a valuable service. Well, um, I, we talked earlier. I could talk to you all day, by the way. Um, I know that we've got a drop dead time as well as Tigers, I'm sure, approaching the back nine at some point. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, um, we talked about kind of your your future plans. Like you got into some training for triathlons and now you're going to train hopefully lots of folks as a mental coach or something. We don't know. I mean, you probably know. I'm not asking you to, to uh, unveil anything here. But as that comes to more fruition, we'd love to have you back because uh, the person you are as well as your your <laughs> the accomplishments that you have is a pretty cool uh, mix, right? Some folks who have done what you've done might have a big ego. You've talked a lot about your challenges. Failures, not like how great you are. You talk about we, you talk about the failures, you talk about the hiccups. That's really inspiring to be around. And so I just thank you for one, having the courage to do what you did, but two, having the perspective to keep it about we and the failures about getting somewhere, not just the successes. Yeah. You know, I, I, we've done a lot of things and we've met a lot of people and we've had some pretty amazing experiences and although I'm the person on stage and, and doing these, these, you know, webinars or podcasts or things like that, the reality is, is I'm not the Iron Cowboy. My entire team is the Iron Cowboy and nothing great's ever accomplished on our own. And I think everybody should surround themselves with great teams and coaches and you, you can't be the expert in all things. And so surround yourself with people and learn from them and, and take that in. And I think that's again, why educators are so important because you, you never know how, who's watching. And you also, what's interesting is you, you'll, you'll probably never know the true impact of the time, energy, and effort and sacrifice you do as an educator. Um, I know our family doesn't get to see the massive ripple effect that we've had around the world. Um, we get messages that come in and we believe that represents probably five percent maybe less of the impact that we're having and that's humbling um and and i think teachers should know that and be okay with the fact that they may never know the true impact that they have but they are having massive impact on these kids because you know i haven't contacted my fifth grade teacher who molded me and gave me some great advice i didn't contact my eighth grade wrestling coach that said xyz that really impacted me and so I, I just think the knowledge that someone is always watching, someone's always listening, and and for us to always try to show up and be the best version of who we are, continuing to chase that version, is just something super valuable to be present and be with these kids and and give them the best chance of of contributing to society. I feel like one of your next quick projects could be biking or running to each of those teachers that's still alive for you to say thank you, uh, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. All right. Maybe, maybe, maybe play a golf round with them. Yeah. Well, I was going to offer that in St. Louis if you're here. Uh, rapid fire. Um, what's a habit or discipline that you use on a daily basis that helps you be the best version of yourself? Uh, trying to get outside and move my body. So every day that's your goal to get outside and move your body somehow. Yeah. All right. I think you answered this earlier, but uh, I'll just check. 
what's a book that's really made a huge impact on your life that um, you think other people should check out? It could be multiple. I'll give you three. I think this, these are three books that every, every human being should read. Um, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Um, Man's Search for Meaning, Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. Fascinating. Um, what's on your playlist when you go for a long run or a timeout? You may, you actually may like, again, you like suffering. So you may not want a playlist in your long runs, which could be interesting. But when you're driving or somewhere, what's on your playlist? No, dude, I, I, I love music. Um, and, and my, it's, it's a wide array of music. I mean, we could go from Eminem to the greatest showman to Justin Bieber to, you know, some great Celine Dion. I mean, you, you name it. Um, this, I, I, but I mean, if I'm like in, in it, I'm, I'm, I'm jamming, I'm loving it. It's going to be like Jay-Z, 50 Cent, uh, Eminem, Tupac, things like that. Yep. Love it. Uh, we were in the same era. So I appreciate everything you just said there. <laughs> Two quick questions that my buddies had that I, I have to ask. One, was there a body part uh, that hurt more than you expected during any of these? Um. Yeah, I didn't expect the the shin pain that we were going to have during the 100. I had an ankle injury that I just had surgery on going into the 100, and it caused incredible problems. And then this isn't a well-known fact either. On day 59, we were in a bike crash. Um, I was knocked unconscious, and we found out after the 100 um, that I had broken my back in that crash. Um, and it explains a lot of the pain that I was experiencing. We were just associating that back pain, discomfort, stiffness, and tighten, uh, tightness to you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 consecutive Ironmans with no days off. I mean, we were getting into above 10,000 plus miles um, consecutively. And so we, you know, and and it didn't, it wasn't the focus. I mean, my shins and my hip were just so blown out um, that we, you know, the back pain was, was like third, fourth, fifth on the list. Um, But we ended up doing 41 consecutive Ironmans with a broken back. Hmm. It's crazy. Last question. Uh, resting heart rate. What is it? Um, when I am in peak form, um, it'll sit around 38, 39. Oh my God. <laughs> what is it when you're not in peak form? I just want to shame everybody, especially me right now. 48. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Uh, I'm going to let you go be somewhere else. Cause I can't handle that. Um, James, this was an awesome conversation. I really appreciate it. Uh, any conversation that I know is ending way too early is a great conversation. So I sincerely mean this. Uh, as you advance and start developing whatever you're developing, yeah. I would love to have you back on and let's geek mm-hmm. out on the science, the ideas, the thoughts that you have. Because one, your story is one that needs to be heard. But secondly, uh, two, you need, I just, I appreciate your humility. I really do. It's inspiring to be around. Um, I think you're nuts in a really good way. And I'm going to go rethink anybody I can talk to that makes me rethink how I'm doing my life and how I need to live differently for myself, but also my kids uh, and my wife, I think is just, it's a blessing. So thank you for being here and thank you for being you. Awesome, man. Thanks, Dustin. I really appreciate the time. And hopefully this gets out to a ton of people that can benefit from your questions, my answers, and uh, just draw from some of the life experience that we've had. And if you're an educator, I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy that you exist. Keep showing up. It's something that I couldn't do. Everybody's heart is different. So thank you. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.